Howdy folks, this is professional rodeo announcer Joe Coulter, and I want to be the first to welcome you to Slave the Cowboy. But before we get started, I want to ask you one question. What is a cowboy? Well, a cowboy is about character, honesty, respect, integrity, strength, and truth. And you know when you scratch all that in the dirt, you're going to spell out the word Christ. And that, in its simplest form, is what being a true cowboy is all about. So sit back, grab a cup of coffee, and get ready to learn how to ride for the Lord. And may God save the cowboy. I'm going to tell you three stories. And then I'm going to ask you a question. And you're going to tell me yours. I'm going to tell you three stories. And then I'm going to ask you a question. And you're going to tell me your story. Three stories. And I cannot promise that I will make them through. I didn't make it through this morning without shedding a few tears. Okay? Whenever I was 15 years old... I was having severe stomach pains. They put me in the hospital and they run stuff in, out, through, around. They poked me with every kind of needle imaginable and ran every, nearly every test known to mankind. And this is what they determined. Kevin Weatherby, who later on would be the founder of a worldwide cowboy ministry, was a 15-year-old kid that was adolescent male that was having trouble adjusting to high school, and they sent me to a psychiatrist because I was faking it. However, my dad had a cousin that was a surgeon in San Angelo, Texas. I had seen all the gastroenterologists. They had run every test known to mankind. They could not find anything wrong with me. And Carmen came to me after I'd already seen the psychiatrist and, and all of this stuff, and no, he's just a skinny cowboy kid that's having trouble and he's faking it and wants to stay home from school, blah, blah, blah. And he said, hey, would you mind if I took a look? I loved Carmen to death. Man, I'd known him since I was a little bitty old punk kid. I, I didn't care. And I told him, I said, Carmen, I'm not lying. He said, well, let, let, let's do, let me take a look. So they, they did another endoscopy where they, where they run the Polaroid camera down your throat and they take a gander around and, and, and do some poking and prodding. And sure enough, Carmen couldn't find anything wrong with my stomach. But something told Carmen, go a little further. And what Carmen found changed my life. Because what he found is that my pancreatic duct was nearly completely sealed shut with gallstones and half of my pancreas had died. After all of the doctors had said, he's faking it. There's nothing wrong with this kid. Send him to a psychiatrist. A little old country doctor. His daddy was a sheep rancher. Little old sheep rancher's kid becomes a doctor and saves my life. Because once they consulted with a doctor from the Harvard Medical School because there was a write-up on me in the New England Journal of Medicine of the youngest recipient to ever receive this type of surgery because it had never been seen before. But God saw it. And through Carmen Weatherby, God saved my life. When nobody would believe me, when people thought I was faking it, when it felt like even my mom and dad were starting to doubt me, and I know they love me, but you know, the doctors, man, these are the smartest people on God's green earth, and, and they're saying that there's nothing the matter with you, Kevin. There's nothing the matter with you. And then they found out that I had that, and that doctor from Harvard said within two years I'd have had pancreatic cancer and I'd died, and I would not be standing here today. But see, God had a plan for me. 
And one thing that I have learned from that incident when I was 15 years old is that no matter what is going on, I didn't know that half my pancreas had died. I did know that I had got out of bed one time when I was like in the fifth grade and my stomach hurt so bad, later they said it was pancreatitis. The doctor told my mom and dad that there have been women that had pancreatitis that also had natural childbirth and they said they would rather have natural childbirth than go through one bout of pancreatitis. It's the closest a man will ever know to what childbirth feels like. And they said I was faking it. I crawled to the bathroom and drank half a bottle of Pepto-Bismol because when you're a fifth grade kid and your stomach is hurting that bad, you don't know what else to do. But I learned to trust God that day that, that maybe nobody else knows what you're going through. Nobody knows what's wrong with you. They, nobody knows how bad you are hurting. God does. And we must learn to trust Him no matter what. Even in the darkest days, we must learn to trust God. We must also trust that His Son will save us. Just as a man named Carmen Weatherby, God used him to save my life. God used His Son to save me forever. We can't do it on our own. There is nothing that you can do to save yourself. We must trust and believe that God sent His Son to save us because one of the things that matter with modern Christianity is they want to preach an easy Jesus, you know, where you just believe that Jesus was a real person that came down and was killed on a cross. I'm sorry, folks, that doesn't do anything. It doesn't do anything. Just believing that there was a Jesus killed on the cross doesn't save you from your sins. You must believe and trust that God loves you, that He did it for you in order to be saved. John 3.16, everybody knows it, but I call me, call me what you will. I don't think there's any way in the world you could ever quote John 3.16 without 17 with it. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son to condemn the world, but to save it through Him. That is what we must believe. Not just believe that He was Jesus, not just believe that He died on a cross, but that He came to save us all. That's what, that's what He came for. That was His purpose, to bring us back to God. I'm going to tell you three stories, and then I'm going to ask you a question, and you're going to tell me your story. The first story is about learning trust that when nobody else knows what's going on, God loves you, and He will save you. Maybe not from a sickness, but definitely forever. After we had been called up here to Colorado, before we left Texas, I was preaching one morning, and my daddy used to always come to those church services. Old cowboy sitting in the back. Had his cup of coffee, and that morning he didn't show up. To fast forward through a long conversation or a long story, he was lifelighted that evening to Odessa, Texas, and I had a surgeon tell me about 12.30 a.m. Monday morning, Sunday night, however you want to look at it. He walks up, and I'm standing outside my dad's ICU room door, and he says, are you with Mr. Weatherby? And I said, yeah, that's my daddy. He said, well, your dad's had a small bowel infarction. I said, he does that all the time. 
Because I didn't, I, I did, it sounded like something else. I didn't, I didn't think that was anything new. But what it was, was that was a fancy way of saying, your daddy's small intestine has died. And he looked at me, and I said, well, what do we do about that? I mean, is that, like, is that the, is that the like, colostomy bag? Because I mean, that, that, we can do that. That ain't no big deal. I mean, it may be a big deal, but I mean, it's better than the alternative. You know, what, what do we do here? He goes, he dies. There's, there's, if your small intestine is dead, you're dead. You can't live with that. And I said, well, is he going to die tonight? He said, no, he'll just waste away, and we'll make him as comfortable as possible. He'll die in about two days. And I said, so there's nothing to be done? And he said, there's a 90% chance that your dad will not make it. And I looked him in the eye, and I said, I said 90%? He said, yeah. And I said, 90% is just when my God gets warmed up. He said, you're a believer? And I said, you dead gum right I am. And he said, God's the only thing that can save your dad. And I said, I know. After he went in and told my dad that news, my stepmom had to leave. She was crying, of course, and, and it was just me and my dad after some pretty hefty news. And I got down on my knees with a black hat just like this, and I threw that thing in the floor, and I grabbed a hold of my daddy's hand with one hand, and I put my hand on his stomach with the other hand, and I said, God, I'm going to ask you to do something not based upon anything that I've done, not based upon anything that my dad has done, but based upon who you are. Because you, one guy said, if you're willing, you can heal me. And Jesus said, what do you mean if I'm willing? Of course I'm willing. And he healed him. And I said, if you're willing, you can heal my dad. And I know you are willing. Amen. That's all I said. There was no these, thou, Shakespearean, King James, Heavenly Father's nothing, man. It was a cowboy prayer over another cowboy. And when he went back to surgery, that doctor told me, he said, I'm going to walk out in about an hour and a half and I'm going to say everything's okay or I'm sorry. You can take both of them to the bank. If I walk out and say everything's okay, your daddy's going to be okay. If I walk out and say I'm sorry, your dad's going to die. I said, good enough. While he was in surgery, I sat there and I prayed. And I said, I don't care what happens in there, God. I know where my daddy's going. And I know you're a good and gracious God. And I thank you for him. And so if you take, if he dies, I will tell the story about your goodness and your love and your mercy. And if you bring him back, I'll still tell the same story of your goodness and your love and your mercy. About an hour and a half later, a surgeon walks in to the surgical waiting area. And it's got some different people because, you know, that's the way it is in hospitals. And I'm sitting on the other side of the waiting room, kind of a big room. And this man walks in and he rips off his face mask and he hollers at 3.30 in the morning across the surgical waiting room. He said, you, sir, serve a mighty God. And I said, amen. Amen. See, when they had got in there, the reason he said 90% chance is that the CAT scan showed 100% of my dad's small intestine was dead. They were just going in there just to say they did. But yet when they got in there, you, have to have, you can live off of four inches of small intestine. And when they opened my daddy up, there was four inches of the healthiest small intestine you ever did see. And I drove home that night, morning, I, I, I don't know, whatever it was, and I was nearly speechless. All I could say the entire time was, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. And I said that for an hour and a half straight because I didn't know what else to say. But there was a question that was really bugging me, and I was afraid to ask it. Scariest question I've ever had in my life. And I got home, 
And my poor brother had been in Las Vegas, Nevada, and I had to call my little brother, my only little brother, and I have half-sisters that were there, but my only full brother, and I had to call him and say, Dad might die, dude. And he can't get back, so he's calling me, and he's sitting at a slot machine just staring at a slot machine because he can't get home till the next day wondering if his dad's going to die. And so I'm driving home, and, and all of these emotions have been pent up in me, and, and I get home, and my wife is, is laying on the couch, and I walk in, and I get down on my knees next to her, and I hold her hand. And all of a sudden, I don't even think about it, I bow my head, and I wrap my arm around something that's in front of me. And what I had pictured in front of me was the nail-scarred feet of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I could feel His legs. I don't care if you believe me or not. I'm not saying He was there. I'm just telling you what I experienced. I had my arm wrapped around, and I was bowed down at His feet, still saying thank you. And then I asked the question. Not the question I'm going to ask you, but I asked the question. And I said, why did you heal him? And the answer crushed me. Still does. After all this time, it crushes me. Because he laid his hand on my head and he laughed and he said, because I love you. Because I love you. That's why he healed my daddy. Because he loved me. And because he loved him. And because he loves you. I'm going to tell you three stories and then I'm going to ask you a question and then you're going to tell me your story. Because for the first time in my life, in a little old double wide trailer on a ranch in Kynosa, Texas, I worshiped my God for the first time that day. With tears flowing, I mean, oh, snot just coming out everywhere. I mean, it was raw. I didn't care. My poor wife didn't know what was going on, but I did. I fell down and I worshiped. And I was already a preacher. And it was the first time that I ever just worshiped Him. You ever love someone so much it hurt? God loved you that much, and He still loved His Son whenever He allowed His Son to be killed on a cross. And I love my daddy that much, and Jesus loves me more than I can ever imagine, and He loves you too. What would you do for somebody that you love that much? See, I knew that day I would do anything. Anything I would do for Jesus. Not because of Him saving my dad, because I'd have given Him the glory anyway. But when you come to that realization of just how much God loves you, it changes you. It changes everything. Have you ever really worshipped God? Worship is a deliberate activity where God is the reason and the focus. I hope that's what we're here today. He is, we are doing a deliberate act. If you're watching on Facebook or, or listening on the radio, this is a deliberate act where God is the reason and the focus. This is worship, not music. Music can be a form of worship, but when we come together to realize God's love. I'm going to tell you three stories. I've told you a story of trust. That when nobody else knows what's going on, God does. And I'm going to tell you, I just got through telling you a story of worship, of raw love and emotion. And then I'm going to tell you a story about sitting on the edge of a water trough at that same ranch, not too far apart from the last one. You see, I was a, I was a cowboy preacher and I was doing everything that the, that the cowboy church people told me to do. We had teams set up. We had an arena team, we had a building team, we had a, a ministry team, we had a band, uh, we put on ranch rodeos, and, and we had team meetings, 
And then we had a leadership team meeting of all the team leaders. And we did all of this stuff. And I was sitting on, a, on the edge of a water trough one night. And I was looking up into a full moon about like it was last night. And I, told, and I came to the realization that I didn't feel God anymore. And it bothered me. And I said, God, where are you? Because I've been doing ranch rodeos and we've been doing uh, uh, potlucks after church and we've been doing uh, uh, we've been doing concession stands at the rodeos. We've been having a Bible study. We've been having two services a week. We, you know, we've been doing all of this stuff. And I used to feel you more before all of that than I do now. Where did you go? Can you not see how hard I'm trying? And he answered me. And his answer broke me again. And he said this, I didn't ask you to do all of that. I asked you to love me. And I asked you to love your neighbor. And I asked you to love yourself. Because you see, I had spent so much time doing church that I forgot to worship God. I forgot to trust God. Man, I was putting my whole heart and soul into doing church. But God wasn't there. Because you see, you're not serving God if He didn't ask you to do it. And I don't care how, how much you're doing. I, I, I hear stories just like mine from people all over the United States that think they're doing something for God, but whenever they're doing it, they, they're like worse off than before. Because see, God didn't ask them to do it. They just thought it was a good idea. And when they started doing their good idea, they forgot about God because here's what God wants from you. God wants you to love Him. And He wants you to know how much He loves you. And God wants you to take that same love and love other people. But yet we just get mad and we complain and we gripe and we bellyache. And we, there's other words I want to use that I won't. But that's what we do. God told us to love Him and let Him love us. And love our neighbors. And he said, love ourselves. That's what he wants now. Now after that, there may, there's a hundred thousand million jillion things that he might have us do. But it all hinges on love. And you will never find fulfillment in anything apart from your relationship with God. Because you've been looking, you've tried this, and you've tried this, and you've tried this. You bought this, you bought that, you bought this. And, and, and man, it's temporary. Everything's temporary, but God is forever. And He wants you there with Him forever. I'm going to tell you three stories. And then I'm going to ask you a question, and you're going to tell me yours. I've told you a story about trusting God. That, that when nobody else knows what you're going through, God does. There is nothing hidden, nothing unseen to trust God, to worship God. And I'm, not, and, I'm, and I'm not talking about raising your hands with a good little old song either. I'm talking about snot slinging, tears slinging. Have you come to that point yet? I pray that you do, and I hope it's not a tragedy that brings you there. And then I told you a story about serving. That man, we... God never leaves us, but we are real quick to go off on our own with our good ideas when God says, the only thing I want from you is for you to know me. To have a relationship. And the only way to have that relationship with God is through His Son that died for you. To do what you couldn't do for yourself. To make you right with God. Are you saved? That's not the question, but we're real close to I'm going to ask you a hard question. Are you saved? How do you know? 
Because, you know, Paul says that we are saved by grace, not by, not by works, lest any man should boast. And that is true. But yet James turns around and says, show me a faith without works and I'll show you a dead faith. Does the Bible contradict itself? No, it's, it's different sides to the same coin. It's a heads and tails. So how do we reconcile that we are saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest any man should both boast and show me a faith without works and I'll show you a dead faith? The question is, are you saved? And maybe I can ask you the question now. I've told you three stories, but now I'm going to ask you a question. Are you saved? And if you say, yes, I'm saved, here's the question. What do you do with the time you have left? What do you do with the time you have left? Because, you know, I'll, I'll, the thief on the cross said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said, surely you'll be with me today in paradise. But on that cross, that thief had this much time left. And you know what he did? He witnessed about who Jesus was to the other one. He said, why do you sit there and mock? We deserve to be up here, but he is innocent. He does not. The time, with the time he had left, that thief spoke of who Jesus was. He trusted in Jesus that Jesus could save him. He worshipped Jesus with the time that he had left. He trusted. He worshipped. And he served him with all of the time that he had left. Are you saved? Where will you spend eternity? I didn't say that you wouldn't live forever. We're all going to live forever. The question is where? And God loved you so much that He gave you two things. He gave you a choice. He's not going to make you choose Him. It's the greatest act of love. He gave you a choice. He said, you can choose me and my son and my entire purpose. What could, what could a God want that can have anything? And what that God wants is for, you, for Him to be able to love you and for you to choose Him. That's it. But the choice is yours. Are you saved? Will you spend eternity in heaven or hell? And if you say, yeah, I'm saved, preacher. I'm saved. Here's the scary question. What are you going to do with the time you have left? Because in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, listen to this. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. And what pleases Him? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Love your neighbor and love yourself. It's not hard. Three characteristics of salvation. It says work hard to show the results of your salvation. You want to know what three results of salvation are? Trusting in God. No matter what your current circumstance may seem like, of how hopeless it seems, of how scary it seems, or how many people don't believe you, or whatever the case may be. Do you trust God? That is a result of being saved. Is to have that absolute trust that no matter what happens, another result of salvation is worship where nothing else matters. Where you fall down on your face. And I'm not saying you do that every time. Maybe it'll be one time in your life, but I would hope that it was a, a magical time where we can all get to that place where we can worship God like that, just raw, and unadulterated, that it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks or says or feels or what they think about us. We just say, God, I love you. And he puts his hand on your head and he says, I died because I love you too. Three characteristics of salvation. Trust, worship, and serve. When somebody saves your life, there's nothing you will not do for them. Nothing. What will you do with the time you have left? 
I don't know. That's between you and God. But I've told you three stories, and I asked you one question. What will you do with the time you have left? And you know what your answer will be? Your story. What will you do with the time that you have left? Let's all go on that journey together. But first, let's pray. God, none of us know how much time we have left, but we know that we have right now. In this now, let us trust you, worship you, and serve you. We get so caught up in the day-to-day activities of life that the important things get pushed aside. Let us refocus our lives today so that when our time is up, we can say that we used the time we had left for your glory and not ours. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray.